0: I was trying to encourage her to give the Dharma talk tonight, (laughs) trying to look for an out here. Well, we have a mezzanine tonight, I see. (laughs) I wonder where the popcorn is. So the subject of tonight's talk is what is called Right View or Wise View, the first limb of the Eightfold Path. And tomorrow night, Philip will talk more about other aspects of the Eightfold Path. It begins with this right view, sometimes called right understanding, So to begin this, um, I'm going to ask you to uh, do a little research in your own experience. So you can put down your notebooks, assume that wonderful, familiar posture of somewhat upright, comfortable but upright... And closing your eyes and actually bringing to mind a current difficult mind state, something which provokes you, something where there's some charge, you know. If you haven't such a mind state, you can go home. <laughs> you have graduated. <laughs> Something which arouses in you some kind of emotion that is difficult, some kind of struggle or conflict, intense feeling. Summon it up. Invite Mara in. And with this mind state, I'm going to ask you to notice some things. First of all, your thoughts. Is there a story? Notice where you feel it in your body. What is the feeling tone or tones? Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral? Is there suffering? If there is, how do you experience the suffering? As thoughts in the mind, as sensations in the body, is there attachment? What are you attached to? Is this mind state who you are? Do you define yourself by it? Is this experience always present or does it come and go? How would it be if you didn't identify with this mind state? Who would you be without it? Notice how it changes as you are present with it. Perhaps it is already fading away. Or perhaps not. See, if you can contact the awareness in yourself that knows it is not you, not yours, Recognize this experience as dukkha, anicca, and anatta, playing in your very own body and mind. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes, come back into the room. So this is a a little brief, hopefully somewhat real experience of what is called right or wise view. That is, seeing our experience from the point of view of the Four Noble Truths and the Three Characteristics. This is what is called right view, understanding that these descriptions are not philosophical or theoretical, but actually we can contact the truth of them in our very own direct experience. What happens when we see our experience in this way? Would anyone like to share their experience? Yes. 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 You felt it. And were you able to see it as suffering, as a Nietzsche change? Did you recognize its changing nature? Did it feel like who you are? Good. Anyone else? Was this valuable? Hmm. So as I said, this is the first limb of the Eightfold Path, and it's interesting to look at why or how it works. Without, We could say without this view of our experience, our practice will be biased by our personal likes and dislikes. That's pretty evident, isn't it? Our intentions will also. Right intention is the second limb of the Eightfold Path following from right understanding, following from this understanding of how the Four Noble Truths and the Three Characteristics actually are, can be experienced, can be known in our experience. It is a perspective on our experience, Perhaps for some of you it feels a bit artificial or uncomfortable to look at your experience in this way. But as we continue practicing, it is a perspective that we will grow into. We see its truth. And we see, and I hope some of you were able to see, even though it was somewhat of an artificial situation, that it relieves suffering to see in this way. Why is that? Why does it relieve suffering? Anybody have a clue? Anybody have an experience of that? Why is it relieving? Yes. It
1: me Uh huh.
0: of Yes. 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 Grasping. (laughs) So he's saying some really important things, which is that it helps to create more of an objective view of ourselves. We see ourselves not from that personal subjective place of, you know, poor me also with some compassion. Some compassion arose, as you would have for somebody else who was suffering, perhaps. It gives us some space for that view of, of perspective and, and objectivity and compassion. Thank you. So right view or wise view It's not meant to be right as opposed to wrong, but rather right in the sense of being in harmony with reality. Impersonal, not biased, but objective and inclusive. It takes us beyond the world of what I like and what I don't like, how I think things should be, what I must have in order to be happy, what I think is good or bad, that world. You know that world? I'm sure you've been in touch with it these last few days. From this larger view, we see things as they are, as suffering, as attachment, as not me, not mine, as changing, as a more objective view. So some of you have heard stories about Nasruddin, the wise Sufi fool. Well, this is a little story about Nasruddin, who was seen, who was seen one day outside in, in his yard, sprinkling garlic cloves all around the perimeter of his property. And a neighbor asked him, they said, Nasruddin, what are you doing? He said, keeping the tigers away. And his neighbor said, but Nasruddin, there are no tigers for hundreds of miles. And Nasruddin says, effective, isn't it? This is called delusion. We could say that Nasruddin is not operating from a view which is inclusive of the facts, of the truth of things but operating from a kind of subjective, biased idea about how things work. Unfortunately, and we all know this, this is quite common in our world. Pick up a newspaper. And it is a common way we approach meditation. The... Teacher of the Diamond Heart School, Hamid Ali, wrote this. He said, The way we ordinarily see the world is not the way it really is, because we see it from the perspective of our judgments and preferences, our likes and dislikes, our fears and our ideas of how things should be. So to see things as they really are, we have to put these aside. In other words, we have to let go of our concepts. Seeing things objectively means that it doesn't matter whether we think what we're looking at is good or bad. It means just seeing it as it is. Bhikkhu Bodhi comes at this same understanding. In a slightly different way, he poses a more difficult question. Do we want to see things as they are? Do we? That is a question worth asking. To see the truth of things takes some effort and commitment. Bhikkhu Bodhi says, when we investigate our experience with mindfulness, our concern must not be with what is pleasant, but with what is true. We have to be prepared and willing to discover what is true, even at the cost of our comfort. Real security always lies on the side of truth, not on the side of comfort. I like to think about this. Hundreds of years ago, people used to imagine that the earth was flat, The horizon was the limit beyond which you would fall off. Kind of a reasonable supposition if you didn't have telescopes and airplanes and ways of disproving that. But the explorers who went out to test this idea did not fall off. They actually, some of them, got home again to report that they had sailed around the world. They may have gotten lost and disoriented in the process, but gradually over time through trial and error, they came to a new view of the Earth, which was more in accord with reality. And of course, more recently in our lifetime, astronauts went to the moon and sent back pictures, which showed us an even bigger view of our true situation. That wonderful picture of the Earth. I remember. I was alive back then, some of you Some of you were not. It was a magical moment on planet Earth to see those first pictures of the Earth taken from space, that fragile, blue, green-white planet out in the midst of all that dark space. This picture has informed how the human race thinks about the earth now. It has opened our, perce- our perception of our place in the universe. Our view has changed. Inside each of us are unexplored worlds. And when we begin practice, it may seem scary to look inside. To spend so much time looking into ourselves, just like the people who imagine the earth was flat. We may fear falling off, losing our sanity, becoming lost, becoming disoriented, because we're going into unfamiliar territory. But actually, this is a necessary part of the process of discovering who and what we are. André Gide wrote, one doesn't discover new lands without consenting to lose sight of shore for a very long time. Are we willing to let go of our familiar reference points and open to what we don't know, to what is unfamiliar? Sharon Butala wrote this piece. Stop thinking you already know things or know how to categorize them or that the world has already been explained and you know those explanations. You know nothing. You understand nothing. Teach me is what you should say and I am listening. Approach the world as a child seeing it for the first time. Remember wonder, in a word, humility. Then things come to you as they did not when you thought you knew. I know for myself, when I started practice, I had already, by that time, gotten a lot of knowledge and learning. I had gotten a graduate degree in psychology, and I had all these very big books at home, and... I was so struck by this way of learning, learning that was opening me in completely unfamiliar ways. But it was a very exciting kind of learning. At the same time, I had to admit that it was a journey that I could not have imagined and that still felt like coming home At the same time, as it was unfamiliar, it had this feeling of coming home, coming home to the deepest truth of my being. So as we allow this exploration of the unknown to occur, all the ways we perceive and think about who we are begins to open up we move from a limited view to a more open and inclusive view. And in that, we sense a greater potential and a a sense of more possibilities appear that we had not even imagined were there. Possibilities of releasing the wounds of the past, awakening our being, cultivating the heart, feeling at home, in ourselves. I was very struck uh, the other morning when Jill was telling her story, and I think it is a beautiful illustration of this expansion of possibility that I'm trying to point to. Jill's story of her pain and how her view of her body and mind opened. From the limited view presented to her by her doctors to a view of body and mind which gave her new tools for healing and awakening. It was a journey of discovery. She discovered another dimension of being, a greater sense of the true potential of her mind and body. And this is available to all of us if we are willing to make the journey into the unknown. And then the other night when Chip was sharing the metaphor of the house builder and his story of building that house, I remembered a a dream that I had very early on in my practice about being in my house. I was in my house, but in the dream, the... I realized that my house was a lot bigger than I had realized before. That there were these rooms that I had never been in. And I began to explore all these new rooms. It was like having, you know, remodeling done without any of the the pain and suffering that that (laughs) takes. It was just like in my dream, I was just going into all these new rooms that I hadn't realized were there. And this is very much a reflection of what I was discovering in my practice at that time. New capacities of awareness and compassion that were being experienced for the first time. And it was very much a sense of expansion of my being. And as Mark was speaking last night about when we begin to step out of the confines of our very limited images of ourselves, our narrow views of ourselves. Life comes to us. We begin to be touched by life in a more direct and sometimes very vivid way. I love this poem by Pessoa, even though I don't know him, a Portuguese poet um who wrote a poem called i lie down in the grass i lie down in the grass and forget all i was taught what i was taught never made me any warmer or cooler what i was told exists never changed the shape of anything what i was made to see never touched my eyes What was pointed out to me was never there. Only what was there was there. When we discover what is there, it is a revelation. We call it an insight, it frees us from a misperception. It's not obvious when we begin mindfulness that the seeing and direct experiencing of our moment-to-moment experience in the present has this power to free us from misperception. I certainly didn't believe that at the beginning of my practice. I, saw, I thought something else was going to free me. I thought there were secret teachings. I was very convinced that That someday, in because I was doing when I started, I was doing more Tibetan practice, more Zen practice, and so they have a lot more ritual and costume and mystery and you know bells and chanting. It was a little bit more mysterious to begin with, and I somehow thought that one day, as I was sitting in the zendo, wondering what the heck was going on somebody would tap me on the shoulder and say, come with me. Time for the secret teachings. But of course that never happened, never happened. It took me years, actually, to realize that the teachings of Dharma are self-secret. They are always being given. Right here, right now, they are being given to all of us very freely. Nothing, no, nothing is being... I held back from you, (laughs) not one moment (laughs) of your life. But we keep them secret from ourselves by our own misperception, by our own dullness, by our own distraction, by our own blindness. We don't see the open secret of the truth unfolding right here in us, moment after moment. Back when I started practice, I heard that Krishnamurti taught that it is the truth which liberates, not our efforts, to be free. That sounded really cool. But I kept looking outside of my experience for this truth. I would hear it in the next Dharma talk, the next guru who came to town, or I would read it in a book, It took a long time to to convince myself that the truth I was seeking was actually appearing in my own ordinary experience. And what was even more significant was that I didn't need to change my experience in order to recognize it. I only needed to recognize what was here, what is present. Some of you will remember this device that was created, it was around a lot at parties 10 years ago or so, called the Stereogram. Do any of you know what I'm talking about? A Stereogram is a um, like a large poster, you could say, full of colored dots. And you look at this thing, and somebody says to you, There's a picture there, but you can't see it unless you get in the right kind of relaxed but alert state of mind, and then the picture reveals itself. So we would spend, you know, giggly time at parties trying to, like, see the thing, you know. So... Somebody would say, well, what it is is it's a scene of a jungle and there's an elephant and a tiger and some baboons and peacocks and, and you just look at this thing and all you see are a bunch of dots. <laughs> but, after, you know, you get the right distance and you relax and you open your eyes but not too much and, you, you know, you have to kind of focus and then suddenly the picture appears And you can't believe it because it was so not there, and now it is so there. It is so there, you can't not see it. And you wonder, how could that be? A trick of perception. So insight is very much like that. What is revealed is something that has been there all along, but somehow we've overlooked it. Wise view or right view is this seeing. There is change. There is suffering when I hold on, when I'm attached, or when I take what is not self to be who I am. We will find this for ourselves if we keep practicing, if we keep looking. Seeing this in our experience is liberating, frees us it rearranges our perception the secret teachings finally appear ordinary completely available and when we see the truth in this way it has an impact on us on us there's one text which describes coming into contact with the truth it says it is like finding an oasis in the desert like taking a healing medicine and feeling well again. It is like cool moonlight which soothes and pacifies the restless, tormented mind and body. It is like a flash of lightning in a dark and stormy sky. It is like the warmth of the sun breaking through the clouds. So it's not a casual experience. It brings the sense of healing and freeing. This also reinforces our confidence in our capacity to see, to know things clearly. We are less likely, after such insight, to be fooled by taking things to be other than they are example that is often given in teachings is that of the rope and the snake. You're walking along a path here at Spirit Rock, and you see something on the path. You heard the managers have said to watch out for snakes, so you see something that looks very much like a snake, but it's not moving. You creep a little closer and you see, oh my, it's not a snake, it's a rope. And all your fear leaves you, and you know, this is not a snake, it's a rope. And if somebody else comes along and tries to tell you, this is, no, it's actually a snake, you're not seeing it correctly, you won't be fooled, will you? So sometimes our insights happen us like a flash of lightning. Sometimes they appear much more subtly and imperceptibly. Suzuki Roshi said it is like walking in the fog. Here in the the Bay Area we have fog and you can go walking when there's a fog and not realize until you get come inside that you are soaking wet. And insight can creep up on you that way. You sit and walk and sit and walk and Suddenly you wake up in the morning, you're seeing the whole world differently. It has pervaded your perception. The Zen poet Basho said, learn about the pine from the pine. Learn about the bamboo from the bamboo. These are good instructions for painters or poets. And there are also good instructions for mindfulness practice. Learn about the breath from the breath, from the immediacy of being present with it. Learn about sensations from sensations. Learn about pain from pain. Learn about calmness from calmness. Learn about joy from joy. Learn about anger from anger. Learn about change by observing it unfolding moment to moment. Learn about not-self by observing that a self is not findable, not locatable. That's the finding that is meant to free you, that you can't find it. And as we heard last night, all the research scientists in their report to Time magazine could not find it. Nowhere to be located. It is a story, a belief, an idea. We learn about wise view, this expanded view of reality by opening to what it is we don't know. By being open. William Blake If the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear as it is, infinite. For man has closed himself up till he sees all things through the narrow chinks of his cavern. The journey of mindfulness practice is this cleansing and opening of our perception. And it's interesting that in his Description He alludes to the fact that for man has closed himself up. It is something we do to ourselves. We close ourselves. We can open ourselves. So this is Wise View. And before I end, very much on time tonight. I'm very proud of myself. Um, I want to mention a very big subject, but it's so important that I think we need to include it here, and that is the practice not only of awareness, but the practice of compassion. We haven't said much about compassion on this retreat and of course we could do a whole we could do a whole retreat just on that subject alone because it is such an essential piece of opening we cannot open to ourselves to the world to the immensity of suffering in the world without it i like to say that compassion brings our practice below the neck into the world of relationships, not the exclusive relationships, not only the exclusive relationships of our loved ones, our family and friends, but actually it brings us into connection with what the Native Americans call all our relations, all our relations whether it is a tiny little ant crawling up your leg, or your boss, or a difficult person in your life. We are asked to come into relationship with every living being. On the way to supper tonight, I, my path was crossed by the most magnificent, large, black beetle. I don't know the name of that beetle. You know, we're he's uh, he looks at me with like, what is this? So I look at him, what is this? But somehow we're both here, and to be in relation to the manifestation of all these different life forms, don't you feel it? There's some connection, even though if you can't say what the name is, or whether it's dangerous or not. You just <laughs> amazing black beetle. I've learned to love tarantulas. I would have been horrified Mm -hmm. to hear that, you know, some years ago as a city dweller, but now I live in the desert of Arizona, and I have a little family of tarantulas living under a rock outside my front door, and they're beautiful, and they don't hurt you. They kind of look strange. They don't, you know, look like tarantulas, but... (laughs) it really does something to you to not be afraid of, of something that you'd always imagine would be terrifying. It opens the heart. So the practice of compassion, like the practice of metta, is meant to open the heart. It really puts the right perspective on the goal of practice, which is not to see the world in terms of right and wrong, good and bad, um, but rather to see it as the Buddha did. He said over and over, I teach one thing and one thing only, suffering Suffering and the end of suffering. Suffering and the end of suffering. That is a good thing to take into our lives. That is what we can remember. Compassion is about learning to love the world no matter what. There's this peculiar thing that happens when we suffer... We tend to think we're the only ones. Have you noticed? And of course, I, as a teacher, getting to speak to many people, it's just so blatantly obvious that it's really a shared experience that we all um, are more alike in our suffering than you could possibly imagine. Sharon Salzberg te- touches on this in her book when she says, to be able to acknowledge suffering, open to it and respond to it with tenderness of heart, allows us to join with all beings and realize we are never alone. Compassion arises unexpectedly sometimes, just as everything else in our practice, It was a king at the time of the Buddha who was a fierce warrior and loved to go out and defeat other kings and their armies. And after one particularly bloody battle, he was surveying the, the carnage and seeing all these dead bodies and I suppose feeling some, you know, like pride and having killed all these people. But then a monk appeared. An ascetic, a wandering holy person, came walking through the battlefield very peacefully. And there was something in this man's demeanor which entered King Ashoka's heart. And he suddenly saw what he had done with a whole different perspective. His view opened in that moment, and he saw that this was not a good thing, what he had done, and he turned instead and followed the monk and became a Buddhist. He met the Buddha and became a Buddhist and, and turned his kingdom over pretty much to the Buddha, and his kingdom became, they all became followers of the Buddha. However the heart opens, we could say it is a journey of intimacy, of becoming intimate with all aspects of this human journey. Because compassion joins with life, doesn't it? It does not stand separate and say, oh, poor you, I'm sorry for you, maybe you'll get your act together someday. It's not like that at all. I like to say it's like these two hands. You know, if the left hand gets cut, the right hand doesn't stand over here and say, well, too bad, you're on your own, you know. It's not like that. No, it goes immediately to help. That's compassion. And so compassion opens our view as well of our connection with all beings, our connection to life itself. Helping us to meet the many different experiences of our lives, both on and off the cushion. I'd like to close with um, Proust. He said, We do not receive wisdom. We must discover it for ourselves after a journey through the wilderness, which no one else can do for us, which no one can spare us, for our wisdom is the view from which we come at last to see the world. So let's sit together for a moment. So we have about a half an hour for walking before the final sitting and we'll